Amen. Praise God. And I'm going to take that interpretation as a confirmation of the message that the Lord laid upon my heart to preach to you today. The very first thing that was said is in this interpretation was a, a quote from the Old Testament. In my presence is fullness of joy. Amen. So if we could bring up the verse of scripture here, Philippians 4 and 4. Amen. It just simply says this, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. So without any other preliminaries and all of that, with the help of the Lord, I just want to preach on the topic of rejoice in the Lord always. Rejoice in the Lord always. Let's pray together once more. Ask the power and presence of the Lord to continue to move in this place, to continue to heart, touch, uh, touch our hearts and impact our minds right now with his word. Lord, in Jesus' name, so thankful, so privileged to be here today and so honored and so humbled by the presence of your spirit that's here in such a powerful way right now. And Lord, we pray that you continue to speak to us through this service. Speak to us through the ministry of your word right now. Let it be anointed. Let it come forth as if through you, Lord. And we give you all the praise and glory for it right now. We worship you in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. As I just mentioned a moment ago, we're an apostolic church. We are a Pentecostal church. The word apostolic just simply means that we follow the precedent, we follow the doctrine and the teachings of the apostles, those individuals whom Christ called specifically to be the founders of his church. And so since Jesus chose them and spoke through them, we want to hear what they have to say and we want to obey what they have to say. We call ourselves a Pentecostal church after the day of Pentecost that very first day that the church was born, and an overwhelming, overpowering power and presence of the Spirit of God took over in this spiritual experience. And we want to identify with that. We want to embrace that. We want to be all about being apostolic and being Pentecostal. And there's one irrefutable characteristic. Certainly there's many that we could draw upon, but there's certainly one irrefutable characteristic of that early church, of that first church of the New Testament, of the teaching and the experience of the apostles, and of the experience of the church that was born on the day of Pentecost. And that irrefutable characteristic is that the church is a church that is filled with joy. Maybe some didn't hear. I said the church is filled with joy. Over 70 times do the apostles and other New Testament writers write about joy in some form. And if you include the verb form rejoice and all of its cognates, that number is more than doubled to nearly 150 references on this topic and concept of joy 
for believers. And this is in the New Testament alone. It doesn't even include other uh, Old Testament references, and it doesn't include synonyms such as happiness and bliss and gladness and pleasure and delight, which are all related to this self-same concept of having joy in the Lord. So it's very clear to me, and it should be clear to anyone who, who dares to read the pages of God's infallible word, that the Lord wants his people to be a people that is filled with joy. It's clear to me that God desires that our response to everything that takes place in our life, let me repeat, everything that takes place in our life, our response should involve rejoicing in the Lord. And certainly it's easy to feel and express joy uh, when things are good, uh, when everything is going according to plan. When it's smooth sailing, as they say, when everything just seems just right and your life is comfortable, of course it's easy to be happy. Of course it's ex easy to express joy in those times. And this is true both in our personal lives and as the corporate body of believers known as the church. When there are blessings that are abundant in the church, when healings are flowing and miracles are happening and prosperity is being blessed upon the church of the Most High God, it's so easy to to just rejoice. It's so easy to express our joy. But it is clear in the Bible that joy is not merely a sense or a feeling, but it's more than this. It is a state of being. You see, if you have got the gift of the Holy Ghost residing in you, if you have been filled with the spirit of the one God himself and he is dwelling in you, then you have access to a divine supernatural joy. Romans 14 and 17, for the kingdom of God is not meat and drink. That means it's not just physical. It's just not material. It's not only temporal, but it is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. Romans 15 and 13, now the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope through the power of the Holy Ghost. If you've got the Spirit of God dwelling in you, that you can abound in all hope, that you can have the peace that God wants you to have. But first and foremost, this verse of Scripture said that the God of hope fill you with all joy. He doesn't want you just to experience a sensation of joy every now and then he wants you to be filled with joy overflowing with joy brimming to the top with joy I'm starting to sense that some folks here know what I'm talking about and according to the apostle Peter first Peter 1 and 18 our experience with God is marked as one that is joy unspeakable and full of glory. It's an unspeakable joy. It's a joy that words cannot fully describe. It's a joy that the human mind cannot properly comprehend, much less adequately explain it. But not only that, it's a joy that's full of glory. In other words, it's a glorious joy. Delightful, wonderful, magnificent, splendid, brilliantly beautiful. The highest and most holy experience of happiness and bliss that a human being this side of heaven can possibly encounter or undertake. I'm talking 
talking about Holy Ghost joy, divine joy, the joy of the Spirit. Hallelujah. Let's take a moment and thank God for that joy right now. Somebody clap your hands and praise him right now. Praise God. Amen. You can be seated. As I've already alluded, one powerful aspect regarding, regarding our joy in the Lord is that we rejoice not only in good times, not only when things are going right, but the Bible says we rejoice in trials. We rejoice in tribulations. We rejoice when we have problems. We rejoice when we have struggles. We rejoice when we're going through times of suffering. In those times, we rejoice also. And James said in the very first chapter of the book, of the epistle that bears his name, James write, my brethren, count it all joy when you fall in divers temptations, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. Perhaps the English Standard Version is a little bit easier to understand. It says, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. Some other translations say it produces endurance. Some translations say, count it all joy. Consider it holy joy. Count it, consider it as a pure joy. And that's exactly what we find the saints of the New Testament doing. In Acts chapter number 5, Peter and many of the other apostles, they were thrown into the prison at Jerusalem simply for preaching in the gospel and sharing the good news of Jesus Christ. They had already been arrested. They had already been threatened and released not to do it again. And now imprisoned again, miraculously released by an angel of God and arrested again. And the authorities took counsel that they may slay them or execute them. They were talking about killing them for their faith and for their, for their calling on their lives. So they were arrested again, and the authorities uh, came to talk to them and threatened them again. And this time, instead of killing them, they said they'd just simply beat them and threatened them that you shall not teach in this man's name again. And what was the reaction of these men and women of God? What was the reaction of these saints of the Most High God called to preach his glorious gospel? Acts 5 and 41 says they departed from the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for his name. I have to pause here for just a moment. Can you imagine what is taking place here? They're talking about killing them. They literally just beat them before they released from prison and threatened them not to teach in the name of Jesus Christ again. But instead of getting upset, instead of getting frustrated, instead of doubting their faith and the calling was upon their life, none of that occurred to them. None of that even came into their mind. But instead, the only thing that they could do, the only instinct that they had was to rejoice, to express their great and abounding joy because they were counted worthy to suffer shame for his name. 
In Acts 13, we read a very similar story. This time it's Paul and some of his companions, and they were led by the Spirit into Antioch of Poseidon, and there they preached. And the Bible says multitudes came to hear their preaching, and many were converted, both Jews and proselytes and Gentiles also. Many were converted and baptized and received the Holy Ghost. They were experiencing great revival. The Bible says that the word of the Lord was published throughout the entire region. What, what a great confirmation of what God is doing in their life. Just what, what a great cause to rejoice and be glad for the work of the Lord that's going forth. But then as we continue to read this account, verse 49 of the same chapter says some of the Jews stirred up the people against the apostles and raised up persecution against them. And as a result, they expelled them, not from a single church, not from a single city, but from the entire region. All of the Christians and all of those spreading the gospel and the good news of Christ were cast out of the entire region. What was their response? What was their instinct? Uh, how to react to this situation? Acts 13 and 51 tells us, but they shook off the dust of their feet against them and came unto Iconium and the disciples. And the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Ghost. What did they do when they suffered hostility? They rejoiced in the Holy Ghost. What did they do when they were met with persecution? They couldn't help but to be filled with joy because you see the good things that happen are not just a confirmation that God is moving in your life, but sometimes when the devil gets stirred up, sometimes when things are going wrong, that's just as much as a confirmation that you are in the will of the Lord, that God has moved in your life, that God has transformed you. And you can have joy in the midst of hostility. You can have joy in the midst of suffering. You can have joy in the midst of persecution. You can have joy in the midst of tribulation. If you are filled with the Holy Ghost, you can have joy wherever and whatever you are doing and involved with. Because joy is the natural state of the believer in Jesus Christ, our great Lord and Savior. Someone give the Lord a hand clap of praise. This joy that these early saints experienced and this joy that they demonstrated in their lives. I'll say it again. It's joy unspeakable. It's unexplainable. It's indescribable. It's inexplicable. It's glorious joy full of beauty and power and wonder and awe. But it's also a joy that's unnatural. In other words, it's anything that this world could produce. It's unlike anything that this world could produce. It's anything, unlike anything that this world in and of itself could ever experience apart from God's divine sovereignty. And it's a counterintuitive joy. Sometimes it's contrary to logic. Sometimes it's contrary to reason. It's always contrary to what the circumstances and the situation seems to warrant. And yet there it is, unexplainable, inexplicable, that we can experience the spiritual, tangible, unmistakable, undeniable stance and state of being, joy unspeakable and full of glory. Back to our text here that I read from from, uh, where did I read? Philippians 4 and, and 4. Paul understood that the Philippian church to whom he wrote this epistle was undergoing a great 
time of persecution, a great time of struggles and trial. In fact, the church in this city of Philippi was born into tribulation and persecution. If we go back to the book of Acts, chapter number 16, when Paul first founded the church in Philippi, there's a story, uh, an, an, an encounter, an episode, uh, that there was this soothsaying servant girl who was possessed with a spirit of divination. And Paul witnessed this. The Bible says he was grieved. And through the power of the Holy Spirit, he delivered this young lady from this spirit that had her bound. And due to the great corruption of this in the city and the masters of this little slave girl, they were reaping profit and benefit because she, she was a soothsayer. She prophesied to others under the power of the devil. And they just lost their stream of income because this girl was delivered. And so they were, they were evil and they were wicked and they were corrupt. And they, they, they persuaded the, the magistrates of the city to arrest Paul and Silas and their their entourage, and to put them in prison. And this set off persecution of believers in Christ and the city of Philippi. And when Paul later wrote to the Philippian church in this letter that we are reading from now, uh, they were still experiencing terrible persecution and hostility. In fact, the theme of this letter, if you sometimes read the commentaries and what have you, uh, the commentators agreed that the theme and the overriding topic of this letter is triumph and joy despite trials and suffering. That's the theme that permeates everything Paul wrote about to the Philippians, triumph and joy despite trials and suffering. And Paul himself spoke in this, in this epistle to the, to the Philippians. Let me give you just a bit of background very quickly. He spoke of himself being in bonds. In other words, when he wrote this, he was imprisoned in Rome, literally in shackles and in bounds. He spoke of the very likely outcome in the, this epistle to the Philippians that the ending of his ministry was probably near because it was going to end in execution and martyrdom. He spoke of the suffering and sacrifice that sometimes accompanies obedience to God's will. And he used as the primary example Jesus Christ himself and admonished the believers to have the same mind that was in Christ Jesus when they experienced suffering because he made himself of no reputation. Literally, he emptied himself. He took upon the form of a servant. He humbled himself and became obedient to death even the death of the cross. He told the Philippian believers that they were not to murmur or dispute despite all the trials that they were experiencing because he explained to them that God was working in them to do his good pleasure and to do his will. He told them to be blameless. Think of this. He told them to be blameless and harmless without rebuke, shining as lights in the darkness for the world to see even in the midst of their suffering and persecution. He reminded them that they did not labor in vain. He reminded them that they did not run in vain. And he recognized that even in the midst of persecution from outside, that there was a wickedness that was trying to brew itself inside the church as well. For there were those that Paul called dogs, 
evil workers of iniquity that were came among them and were trying to infiltrate the church. And he warned them that they should beware and that they should mark them that walk contrary to the truth and not just believe everything that was preached, but only the things that they had heard from the apostles themselves. And after acknowledging all this trial and after acknowledging all this persecution, after acknowledging the suffering that they were in the midst of, that he himself was in the midst of even as he inked the letter of this epistle. Now chapter 4 comes the highlight and the climax of the epistle. He began his encouragement and instruction with these words. Philippians 4 and 4, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. You see, there's a powerful lesson encapsulated in this one verse. Allow me to quickly unpack it and break it down for you. First, Paul said rejoice. This is a verb, an action word. Joy is the state of, re- of being, but rejoicing is the action that springs forth out of a life that is filled with joy. And notice this is an imperative verb. In other words, it's not a mere suggestion, but it's an instance of divine admonition. Paul was saying, I know what you're going through right now. I know the trials that you face. I know the suffering that you're encountering. I know that you're hurting, but can I just remind you? Can I just encourage you? Can I just admonish you? In spite of all that, simply one word will suffice. Rejoice. Rejoice in spite of it all. Don't stop expressing your joy. Don't stop searching after God. Don't stop feeling after the spirit and the joy that he provides. Rejoice. Paul's, uh, and then he says, uh, As if to say, let me give you the solution to this dilemma. Let me tell you the only acceptable response to the onslaught from hell that you are facing. Let me tell you the secret that will keep your heart and mind right and pure before the Lord. Rejoice, rejoice, rejoice. Despite it all, despite everything that's come against you, you must keep rejoicing. You must keep expressing and acting upon that pure and holy joy that's inside of you. So that's the first word, rejoice. But Paul didn't stop there. He didn't just tell them to rejoice, but specifically he said rejoice in the Lord. In other words, you might not find legitimate cause to be glad about the nature and state of affairs of your life right now. Your life may not appear to be headed in the direction that you had planned. From the perspective of worldly logic and reason, there may be nothing that you are encountering that would speak to the idea that you should be joyful or rejoicing. Nevertheless, we always have cause to rejoice in the Lord. We should find some joy in serving him. We should find joy in being part of his kingdom. We should find joy in following his will. The psalmist said it so brilliantly and wonderfully. In the midst of a situation and a trial, he said, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Can I say that again? Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. If you can find nothing else to find joy about, if there's no other reason to rejoice in your life, you can rejoice in the Lord. 
Jesus said in Luke 10, rejoice because your names are written in heaven. The prophet Isaiah said in chapter 12, with joy shall you draw out of the wells of salvation. It doesn't matter what's going on around you. If your name is written in heaven, if you're dwelling from the wells of salvation, all hell could be coming down upon you. But there's still cause to rejoice in the Lord. Because when you are in the Lord, you have a greater perspective. The temporal things of this life don't have such a powerful hold on us where when, when we are in the Lord. But we have a greater hope, a greater promise, a greater expectation, a greater future. Things just seem to melt away when you are in the Lord, when you're safe and secure in Him. So Paul says, rejoice in the Lord. But then again, he doesn't just stop there. For he says, follows it with this one beautiful word. I sound like Donald Trump. Beautiful word. Rejo I just killed my whole sermon. Paul says, rejoice in the Lord. And then he, he puts this qualifier on it. I guess it's the opposite of a qualifier. He says always. When is it a good time to rejoice in the Lord? Always. Can I say it's always in order to rejoice in the Lord. It's always in order to express your great abundant joy in the Lord. Has anyone ever been to a Pentecostal funeral? A lot of funerals are just filled with sadness and, and grim and droom, but sometimes you enter into a Pentecostal future, uh, funeral and there's rejoicing going on because it's always in order to rejoice in the Lord. Let me put it another way. There's never an inappropriate time to rejoice in the Lord because the Lord is always good. The Lord is always present. The Lord is always in charge. The Lord is always in control. And therefore, we can always rejoice in the Lord. God is always worthy of your praise in good times and in bad times. It's kind of like a marriage, for better or for worse, for richer or for poorer, in sickness and in health. It doesn't matter. It's always appropriate. It's always in order. It's always called for to rejoice in the Lord. Joy should always, somebody say always. Joy should always be manifest in the life of the believer. Let me reiterate this concept to you. Our joy is not dependent upon your situation. Our joy is not dependent upon your circumstances. We can have joy no matter what happens. It's not contingent upon external factors. It's not dependent on what's happening around you. The prophet Habakkuk says this, Habakkuk in chapter 3, verse 17 and following, Although the fig tree shall not blossom, neither shall fruit be on the vines, the labor of the 
olive tree shall fail, and the field shall yield no meat. The flock shall be cut off from the fold, and there shall be no herd in the stalls. That seems like a pretty grim situation to me, but then the prophet says this, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will joy in the God of my salvation. I don't know if this is getting through to everyone here, but can I say in the middle of a pandemic, in the middle of an economic downturn, in the middle of loss of jobs and loss of income, in the middle of people getting sick, and yes, even many people dying, and that's tragic. But may I say, may I suggest, may I just remind you, that's no reason to lose your joy, because your joy is not dependent on this world. Your joy is not contingent on circumstances. It is always, somebody say always. It is always in order to rejoice in the Lord and joy in the God of our salvation. And so the psalmist says, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. If that's true of you, why don't you give the Lord some praise right now? Hallelujah. Praise God. I'm only through about half my notes, but we're going we're gonna to skip the second half and just wrap it up right here and see if the Lord won't maybe do something in the remainder of this service. But Paul didn't stop there. He didn't just say rejoice. And he didn't just say rejoice in the Lord. And he didn't just say rejoice in the Lord always. But then becomes the most compelling part of the verse as far as I'm concerned when he says this, and again, I say, rejoice. Let me remind you of this. God's word is inspired. That means it's literally God breathed. Scripture says holy men of old wrote as God's spirit moved upon them. Not just are the thoughts and principles of the word of God inspired, but every word is inspired. We call that the doctrine of verbal plenary inspiration. In other words, the unqualified, complete, absolute inspiration of every word of Scripture. And so Paul, when he penned this word under the divine influence of the Holy Ghost, as the Spirit of God moved sovereignly upon Paul and directed him to write, he directed him to repeat it again. Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. I don't know what was going on in Paul's mind at that time, and I don't know what kind of visions and inspiration Paul, the Lord was giving Paul. All I know is what Paul wrote. You can be seated if you like. I believe something like this was taking place. Paul wrote these words and then just had like a holy fit in the Holy Ghost or something. In case you didn't hear me the first time, I just want to be clear. I just want to make sure you comprehend what I'm telling you. 
I know it seems counterintuitive in face of all that you're experiencing. I know that it doesn't seem to make a lot of sense. I know it doesn't seem natural at this point in time. But can I just remind you one more time? Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. I'm going to take one more crack at this, and then we're going to close out this preaching portion of this service. But can I just remind someone how good God has been to you? Can I remind someone of the transformation that has taken place in your life? Can I remind someone that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us? Can I remind you of the new birth of spirit and water that took place in your life and you became a new creature in him? All things are passed away and behold, all things become new. Can I remind you there was a time in your life when you had no hope, when you had no future, when you had no promise, when you had no inheritance, but God had mercy on you. God shed his grace upon you. God called you. And if that's not a reason to have joy, if that's not a reason to express our great joy and pleasure in the Lord, if that's not a reason to share this gospel to the uttermost parts of the world, then I don't know what is. Paul said, I'm going to say it again. Paul said, just in case you don't understand, just in case you have any doubts, again, I say rejoice. Rejoicing is always in order. Praising God is always in order. Expressing our joy to our great King and God is always in order. Letting our praises flow flow forth. Letting our prayer come forth. Hallelujah. Letting our worship pour out of us is always in order in the Lord. Amen. Hallelujah. I would just invite somebody to come up here. I don't expect people to be dancing and shouting around here, but what I do expect and what I reiterate is always in order is that the joy of the Lord be manifest in your life. I encourage someone right now to reconnect with that joy. I I encourage someone right now, hallelujah, to re-experience that joy, to rediscover that joy. Hallelujah. To dig again the joy with joy, the will of salvation right now why don't you come if you can't fit up here wherever you're at let's all lift our hands let's lift our voices to our great God and Savior and thank him and praise him and worship him together